Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 25 through 37. Luke 10. I heard a true story from a friend years ago. He told me about this homely, skinny, pimpled-faced teenager who attended a church youth group. And we'll call his name Brian, Brian Warner. Brian was an outcast at his youth group. He just didn't fit in. He didn't fit in anywhere he went. And one day, the youth group went to a theme park, and all the kids, like they do, gathered together with their friends in different groups, and they took off in different directions, leaving Brian by himself. Brian spent the entire day at this theme park by himself. Well, years later, one of the youth, when they got older, called the group leader, and said, you remember Brian, who was in our group years ago? And he said, you know what? He's changed his name. His name is now Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson's hatred for God can be heard in the lyrics of his songs. One of his songs says this, I am your ism, I am your prism. Kill them all and let your God sort them out. Do you know that song was one of the favorites for the two teenagers that murdered 12 of their classmates at Columbine High School in Colorado? What set off the chain of events that led to the murder of 12 people? Could it have been one afternoon when a teenager spent the entire day by himself at a theme park? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Look at Luke 10, verse 25, starting there. This is the word of God. And a lawyer stood up. And put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by him on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by him on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, 
came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when, you, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go, do the same. You know, this is a very familiar story to all of us, the Good Samaritan, right? Um, and sometimes familiarity can be dangerous. Because we know the story so well, many times we miss the point of the story. Look at verse 29 of this story. It says this, But wishing to justify himself to Jesus, he said, And who is my neighbor? Wishing to justify himself. What's it, what's it mean there? Well, see, the mindset for this Jewish lawyer would be this. I'm already loving my neighbor. I know who my neighbor is. You know who my neighbor is? The righteous. The Jew. All those people that are like me. You know, those are the people that I love, and I'm doing that now. And he would also think, those Gentiles... They're sinners. And the Samaritans, they're really sinners. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I'm supposed to love my own and hate them and not even hang around them because I'm holy and they're not. You see, that was the mindset. That's the mindset. And so Jesus tells this parable that goes totally different from what this guy would be thinking. In this parable, Jesus reveals two religious Jews who you would naturally think would stop and help a, a, an individual Jew that was in trouble, you know, that was dying. But, the, but for a Jew to read this story, he would be in shock. He would be shocked to hear that the Levite and the priest pass by this guy without even lifting a finger to help him. Just keep going. And then, you know what else would be more shocking? What would be more shocking for the Jew is to read in verse 33 that this Samaritan, a half-breed is what they would think, or a sinner, actually stopped to help this man and to take care of him. They, he, that would just blow their minds. That would blow their minds. But, but more than just feeling compassion, this Samaritan acted on his feelings. He didn't just feel something. He acted on it. He went above and beyond the call of duty. He, he, he was a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in loving his neighbor and in loving his enemy. Because that's what Christ tells us to do also. Look at what he did. Look at verse 33. 
It says this, But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on this beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Wow! So he took care of him, and then he paid for him, and then he even said, I'll pay even more when I get back. You know, he could have said, hey, when this guy recovers, he can pay you the rest, right? But he didn't do that. He went way beyond. He said, I'll pay you when I get back. Amazing kind of love. So then Jesus says this. He says, who proved to be the neighbor? You know, the, the answer is obvious, right? Who proved to be the neighbor? It, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you remember the Fonz? Uh, some of you do, hopefully. Happy days, right? And, and when they'd say to the Fonz, you know, you need to apologize, what would he do? He'd go, I'm right? Sorry. And I, and I think of that in this story because Jesus asked, you know, who's the guy? Who's the guy that's the best neighbor, right? And I can imagine that lawyer sitting there going, the some, 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 and he doesn't even say Samaritan, does he? He says the one who showed mercy. He probably didn't even want to say the, the, you know, the, the Samaritan. Why? Because he's in shock. He's thinking this guy's a sinner. This guy, this guy's a half-breed. This guy's loving his enemy. This is unbelievable. I don't even want to say his, you know, what he, who he is. Don't want to say who he is. Now, you can imagine after, and then Jesus says something even more unbelievable. <laughs> he says, go and do the same. Can you imagine what this lawyer's thinking now? Go and do the same. He's, he's telling him to act like a Samaritan and, and do what the Samaritan did. The Samaritan loved a Jew. Now he's saying the Jew ought to love a Samaritan. What? Right? So you can imagine he, he was rationalizing at the first. He tries to justify himself, right? And now you can imagine what was going through his mind is, uh, you know, how can I get out of this? How can I justify not loving my neighbor? You know? And I can imagine there's three things he could have thought of. One is social superiority. Social superiority. Many Jews would think because they were wealthy that they were godly. Okay? Wealthy or rich, they were godly. Um, to be rich was equated with being spiritual. Why do you think Job's friends went to him and thought he was a sinner? Because he lost everything. He had nothing anymore. So they said, he must be, obviously, since he's lost everything, he's a sinner. He's in sin, which he wasn't, right? And what about Matthew 19.24 when Jesus says this, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So, so how, did the, how did the disciples react to that statement? Well, they said, 
Well, then who can be saved? If a rich man can't get to heaven, then none of us are going. That's what they're saying. Then who can be saved? And Jesus says this, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible with God. Years ago, when I was in third grade, that was years ago. Wow. <laughs> there was a little girl named Lee Ann Hilliard. And Lee Ann Hilliard, you know, at the time I probably didn't realize it, but Lee Ann Hilliard would come to school every day, usually in the same clothes, same dress, hair unwashed. She didn't smell too good. She was really poor. Looking back on that, right? Well, Leanne Hilliard one day came to school, and I'm sure she was sick. She probably had a bladder infection. She sat down, and she had an accident at her desk. And one brilliant kid came up with a new name for Leanne. He called her P.N. Hilliard. And all the kids started laughing, you know. I, I don't remember if I took part in that. Hopefully I didn't. Why do kids do that? You know, it feels good looking down on another, making fun of them, because it makes you feel part of the group, part of the gang. And, and you know, when you're looking down on somebody's imperfections, then they can't look at your imperfections, right? Now, now I look back on that, and, and I know there's a little girl now who's a woman who probably is haunted by that day that she was called that name. Even now, even today, when she's my age, 29, you know. And Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now you may be thinking, Mark, Mark, come on now. We're adults. We're adults. We, we've given up calling people names and laughing at them and mocking them in front of them, right? We don't do that. Yeah, as adults, we don't sin as blatantly and as publicly as we did when we were kids, right? But sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't associate with others because they don't fit in with us and our group. Or... Sometimes we don't associate with someone out of fear of what others may think of us, right? I remember years ago, probably 1999, 2000, sitting back in that area. And a guy came into our church, he had shorts on and flip-flops. Um, he probably didn't have much money. He sat down. Nobody talked to him. Now, we're a totally different church today. But back then, you know, part of holiness was wearing a suit. And if you didn't, oh, well, not blue jeans, right? But um, this guy was all alone, all alone. So I went up and talked to him. 
But it kind of reminds me of the passage in, in uh, James, in James chapter 2. It says this, verses 1 through 9. It says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there, and he comes, and there comes also a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil motives? What's the answer to that passage? Well, it's found right here in Luke 10. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Even those that are dressed differently, even those that are different from your group, even those that are poor, or even those that are rich. Well, the Jewish lawyer could have had a second reason why not to love his neighbor, and it could have been because of theological superiority. Theological superiority. Um, many Jews felt Samar superior to others because they had the prophets, they had Abraham, they had the scriptures. But they failed to realize that everything they had was given to them by grace and by God's mercy. And it wasn't theirs because of their worthiness. In fact, in fact, they're reminded many times that they're unworthy. God says that they were a stiff-necked, disobedient people, but he chose them by grace. And many times we're the same way, right? But God chose us by grace too. And he wants us to not be haughty with what we know, right? But to be humble, to say, God, why me? Why did you give this to me? I remember years ago, uh, somebody came to me and wanted to know more about baptism. So, and this was definitely years ago because I gave him some cassettes. Um, how long ago was that? I don't know. But I gave him a couple cassettes um, where it was a debate between a PCA guy, our denomination, and a Baptist pastor. And they debated on baptism, right? It was a really good debate. Both of them knew their stuff. Well, my friend came back to me and he said, um, it was good. PCA guy, you know, did a really good job. He won the battle, but lost the war. What, what did he mean by that? Well, he said some other things, but I won't repeat that. But he said he won the battle. You know what he did? He won the theological argument. But in winning the argument, he looked down on the other guy, and you could tell he came across as arrogant. God gives us truth, not so that we can be arrogant, but so that we can be humble and give it to others, right? In fact, God regenerated our hearts, um, and even now as Christians, what we know is only allowed by the grace of illumination. God opens our eyes 
to understand more and more truth about him. And it's only by his grace. It's not by us being so wise. In fact, I just remember as a, as a new Christian, when I first became a Christian, I went back to the old church that I grew up in. Um, and it was a very high church service, you know, very formal. Well, I went back to this church service, and for the first time, my eyes were open, my ears could hear truth, and I was like going, wow, this is beautiful. The words in this are true. They're, the, they're right out of the Bible. I was so excited. Why is that? Because God opened my eyes. God opened my ears by grace. So that, you know, um, I'm just one beggar trying to show another beggar where to find bread. And that's how he wants us to be. That's how he wants us to be. Well, the Jewish lawyer could have had a third excuse. Why not to love his neighbor? And it could have been because he felt superior because of his race. Felt superior because of his race. You know, the Jews were very proud of being the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were Jewish by race and were not half-breeds like the Samaritans. Now, if you understand what happened in history, the northern kingdom of Israel, which was the Ten tribes of Israel, in 722, Assyria came in, and because of their sin and rebellion against God, he, the Assyrians took all of Israel, northern Israel, right, out. Took them out and left a remnant. And then what the Assyrians would always do is they would take people out of the land and then they would replace them with people from other lands. And that's what they did. They brought Gentiles into the land and those Gentiles intermarried with the Jews that were the remnant there and that's how you got the Samaritans, okay? Now think about this. In that day, the, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. And in fact, when they were making a trip from Judea to Galilee, you know what they would do? They'd go around. Not only would they go around, they would make it a longer trip. They would go across the Jordan River, go up the side, and then come back across the Jordan River. That makes it a pretty hard trip, right? <laughs> and then finally they'd get to Galilee. But what did Jesus do? Jesus went through. Jesus went through Samaria. So there was much racism in Israel during the life of Christ. Years ago, here we go with years ago again, um, Jillian was three years old. And for those of you who don't know Jillian, you're new, uh, Jillian is our daughter, adopted daughter. She's full Asian. Um, but she was born here in the United States, so she speaks English better than me. <laughs> and I took her to Wendy's on 81. She was three years old. We were sitting together having lunch together. She was eating a burger. It was great, right? And uh, some teenagers were sitting across the room, and one of them looked across and saw Jillian and saw that she was Asian, and little did he know that three-year-old could probably speak better English than he could. But he, he mocked her and said, I eat hamburger. 
That's pretty bad. But he did that, right? And Jillian was three, so she didn't know what was going on. You know, and I was tempted to go over there and smack the kid, but self-control, right? So Jillian and I left. But when I thought about that, is there the papa bear? You know, not the mama bear, but the papa bear was, yeah. But I thought about, you know, later on in the future, she, she might have to face this again when she does understand what's going on. Um, and that was kind of upsetting. You know, I know there's fathers like me, which is all fathers, who never want their daughter or their son to face and feel the pain of rejection. I know part of, that's part of life, right? But you don't want your kids to have to go through that. Like Leanne Hilliard went through. Like Marilyn Manson went through. So what's the answer? Well, Jesus says it right here. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? You know, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, a lot of people freak out about that. They think, does that mean I'm always having to love my neighbor, not think about myself, but always love my neighbor whenever? I've constantly got to be thinking and doing all for my neighbor and nothing for myself. That's not what that means. That's not what that means. In fact, it, it, it means we naturally love ourselves. And that's not sinful. We naturally love ourselves. You know, we naturally want to survive. We want food to eat so we can live, right? We want shelter over our head and for our family. We, we want to be loved. We want to feel part of the group. All of that is natural stuff. That, that's not sinful stuff. And what Jesus is saying here is that we should want the same for others. The same stuff that we want, we should think, you know what? My neighbor wants that too. And I want them to have it. I want them to have it. And then the question comes, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And the answer is pretty plain in this story, right? It's whoever God puts in your pathway. Whoever God providentially puts in your pathway, you are to show love and kindness and mercy to. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter if they're fat or thin or ugly or pretty or black or white or Asian. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if they're cool or a nerd. Is that a proper word nowadays? Nerd? Okay, okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, it makes me think of Jesus. And how did he love his neighbor? Well, like, like I said before, he went out of his way to love his neighbor. Instead of going around Samaria, he went through it. He met with a Samaritan woman, right? Now, have you ever thought about how risky that was for Jesus? You know, first of all, his disciples said, what are you doing? You're talking to her? So he risked what they thought about him, didn't they? Didn't he? And then he risked also maybe that woman attacking him. 
Why? Because he brings up all her past sexual activities. That's pretty risky, isn't it? Yeah, that's risky. She could have pounced on him. Or her boyfriend, present boyfriend, could have come after him, right? We don't think of those things, do we? But he was loving her more than himself. And what was he thinking about her? He was thinking about her going to heaven. He was thinking about the glory of his father. And he was thinking about one day she's going to be in heaven and not in hell. He thought more of her than he did himself in that sense, right? And he risked it all for her. You know what? Think about this. How do we love our neighbor? You know, we, we just talked about this. Well, how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, look back at the first part of this story. And, and what happens in the first part? The, the lawyer asks, how do I get to heaven? How do I get to heaven? Jesus says, you know the law? You know the law? And he says, yeah. Um, I'm to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, yep, you do that and you'll live. So what was Jesus saying there? He's saying exactly what Rob was saying. He's saying, do that and you'll live. Do it perfectly and you will live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and mind every second of every day. Love your neighbor as yourself every second of every day, every minute, and you will live. Now, what was the response of the lawyer? He he becomes a lawyer. He says, who's my neighbor, right? Wrong answer. You know what he should have said? He should have said, I don't do that. I don't love the Lord my God all the time. I don't love my neighbor as myself, hardly ever. Um, I need you, God. He didn't say that, did he? That's what we need. You know, we need Christ. We need a righteousness that's not our own. We need somebody who came to this earth and lived and loved his neighbor perfectly every second of every day, and that righteous record can be given to us. Wow! And then we can respond to that record and the forgiveness that we get by loving our neighbor in response. There was a jet plane that took off from Washington Airport years ago. And they didn't de-ice the wings. Not a good idea in the wintertime, right? Took off, stalled, ended up in the Potomac River. People were swimming all over the place. Many people drowned, right? But there were some still on the surface of the water, 
And one man jumped in, freezing cold water, ice in the water, jumped in and started swimming. And, and this wasn't the day of cell phones, so you know, not everybody was sitting there taking pictures of it. Um, it was a cameraman in a helicopter taking video of it, and another helicopter was dropping baskets or something to pull people out. Um, so this man swimming, getting people, putting them in the basket, they're taking them out, and then he swims to the next person, does the same thing, and he swims to the next person, right? Risking his life, and then all of a sudden the camera starts going like this, and he's gone. He drowned. So he gave his life for people he didn't even know. To strangers. But, but let me make this even more biblical. Let's say that that man wasn't on the side of the river, but he got on the plane that day. And let's say he was Jewish. And he was a, uh, I forgot the name of it, this formal Jew with the hair that's long and wears the beanie cap and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, he gets on the plane and you know who he is. You know, you know he's Jewish. You know he's conservative, right? And let's say the plane is full of Muslims. And when he gets on the plane, they start mocking him and spitting on him and calling him names. And he sits down, right? And they're throwing things at him. And the plane takes off and immediately crashes in the Potomac. And that Jew, Jewish man, starts swimming and saving those that were mocking him seconds before. That is how Christ loved us. While we were yet his enemy, Christ died for us. And because he did that for us, loved us like a neighbor, right? Then we can go and love our neighbor. And every time we do that, what we are saying to Christ is, thank you for loving me while I was yet your enemy. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for fulfilling your law for us. We who could never love you as we should. We who could never love our neighbor as we should. Father, we thank you for your son coming and living life, in a sense, in our place and giving us a righteousness that's not our own. Father, help us to live for you out of thankfulness. Help every day to be a thank you to you for the grace that you have given us. Lord, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to love our neighbor as ourself. For your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.